My name is Judy. I'm here on Wardless Podcast to hopefully shed some light on the whole process of leaving the church, to uh, give hope to other people who are going through the process, to help them not give up on themselves and feel like they're all alone. You're listening to Becoming Wardless, a podcast series featuring stories from people who have made the decision to walk away from Mormonism. Each episode features an interview with one person sharing their story. Our aim is to explore their experience in a respectful and thoughtful way for all people, regardless of your connection to Mormonism. And now, join us as Judy sits down with Donna to share her story. Thank you, Judy, for joining me today. Uh, let's get started. So why don't you tell us where you grew up, what, what, what was your family like with the church and your relationship with the church growing up? Okay. All right. So I grew up in California in the northern part, and um, I grew up in a family that uh, was not active in the church. My mother was uh, a member, but she wasn't very active Um most of my life, she was um, married to people who were not members of the church or who were newbies in the church who really had no background. So family home evening and scripture study and family prayer, none of that happened in my home. I don't recall a lot about being active as a child. It really didn't come together for me until I was in my in my teenage years, and I don't, I don't even know what started it then, but I remember going to all the dances and youth conferences and girls camp, and, and um, I loved it, loved it. So was this mostly you getting involved yeah. in the church, or was your... It was mostly me. I would typically call our home teacher, who was very friendly to our family, and I would go to church with them, sit with them. And you say you don't you don't really remember how you even got you know, re-involved. Back to, yeah, no, hmm. no, I don't. I I remember um, because it was so chaotic at home. I think being at church was just like a haven for me. Um, it was love. There were all these wonderful families. I loved the music. I felt safe there. You know, there was no fighting. There was no alcohol. There was no abuse there was there was nothing bad there it was all good yeah so it sounds like your your home life was rather tumultuous yeah and then in contrast the church felt so different it was safe yeah, yeah. and what about the actual like the doctrines and and as far as belief went were you also soaking that up you know yeah i think that i just believe that it was all true. I didn't really question anything. Uh, I wasn't a big scripture reader. I don't remember reading scriptures actually at home on my own. And of course, we didn't study anything at church, excuse me, at home. We didn't talk about anything. But I just had this overwhelming feeling that this must be true because it feels so good. Mm -hmm. And um, I just felt like that must be the Holy Ghost. That must be telling me that this is something that I can trust. And um, I never doubted it. My whole life, I never doubted it. 
Huh. I had no chinks in my armor. Yeah. And did you think this is the true church? This is the only true church where you did you buy into those sort of claims as well? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh-huh. I believe that it was the only true church that God spoke to our prophets. The prophets would never lead us astray. But if I did all the things that I was expected or asked to do, that I would be blessed. I'd have an eternal family. All would be good. Mm-hmm. And it was my plan to keep going and do all the things that I was taught to do as a young woman to move my life forward in a in a better direction. So let's go there then. How did that turn out for you? Turned out pretty good, actually. Um, when I was 18, graduated from high school, I felt like I needed to leave the, the city that I lived in. There weren't a lot of Mormons. And I wanted to go someplace where there were a lot. So I went to Rick's College. And I loved it there. Wow. Was- and the devotionals and religion classes and going to the dances and seeing all these youth that were wholesome, good, um, on the same path that I was or wanted to be. Yeah. Did you meet your spouse at, at Rick's? I did. I met him in January. So that was the beginning of my second semester. Oh, your freshman, your um, first year? There. My <laughs> freshman year. Now, I was very young. He was this great guy that just came home from a mission. He seemed to really love the church. His family was, or all members, and active. He had a whole intact family. That was a big plus. Ah. Nobody in their family had been divorced. They had this whole pioneer line. He had over 100 cousins. I mean, I thought I hit the jackpot. Right. So tell us a little bit, you know, generally about your married years, raising children, you know, as far as it cons- relates to the church and your activity okay. levels and beyond. So right right away, um, my husband and I started serving in any calling that we were given. We went to church every Sunday. We prayed together every night. We did read scriptures together, actually. And then when children came along, we still stayed very active. But the family home evening part and scripture study just kind of went by the wayside. And that pattern continued throughout all of our children's lives where we always had family prayer. We always went to church. But we didn't ever get family home evening or scripture study a solid part of our life. Mm -hmm. Um, It was really stressful to me, but it really wasn't that important to my husband. So it was a point of contention between us. Mm. And um, there were times when I thought, maybe I made the wrong choice. You know, I know he's a good person, but he's not leading the family like he should. He's not being this priesthood leader like he wasn't doing everything, and I really thought we had to do everything, or else bad things could happen to our family. Ah, uh, uh-huh. Either a child would leave the church, or they would get involved in something, and it would be our fault. If if we didn't all make it to the celestial kingdom, it would be our fault, because we or the parents weren't doing everything that we were asked to do. And I was really rigid about that in my mind. I felt like, if we don't do this, we won't get the blessing. So... It was more important to me to follow all the rules than it was to allow my own family 
to make decisions and to be okay with them. I mean, I just would panic with if somebody made a decision to do something that wasn't on plan. Yeah. But it also seems to make sense because of, you know, you looked at the, the church as your way out, you know, of, a, of yep. a different life. And it was important to me, not just the blessings now, but the blessings for future generations. So I felt the responsibility is not only are these the children that we are in charge of, but their children and their children. So future generations would be affected if we didn't do our job. Yeah. And that's the intensity that was in my mind and my heart. And I guess that's why I felt so much stress trying to make sure everything was working as it was supposed to. Right. Um, let's let's talk about, I mean, we've talked about like stress and fear, you know, and I can see how powerfully those are mm-hmm. operating, but also there must have also been positive aspects in your life of being in the church and and believing, you know. Yeah. I think the positive thing was association with some great people. I I was so grateful to have have those people in my life. Um I loved going to the temple when we did, which wasn't very often. I loved the hymns. And there were times at home, I would say that I could I could feel that I was doing good as a mother. Now, most of the time I felt like I wasn't enough. I wasn't doing enough. I mean, that was probably more prevalent than anything, but once in a while I would feel good about what I was doing with my kids. So back to your marriage and your husband, and I know this is not his story, so I want to be cognizant of that. Um, But it does sound like that's going to play into maybe your transition <laughs> later. So yeah, what comes next? So my husband never expressed any doubts. You know, even though he, he didn't do everything he was supposed to do, he loved being an active contributing person. He loved to do service projects. And he was a little snarky about some things at church, and I never really could understand what was making him snarky, you know. Um, he was very humbled when he was asked to be a bishop when we moved to oh, the South. Okay. So yeah. He, so he, that had to have been a huge deal. How old were your kids when he became the bishop? He was called to be a bishop. I think our oldest was on a mission. So 2017, 15, and 7, somewhere in there, maybe. Okay. So we had three at home, one on a mission. And so he served as a bishop for five, maybe six years. And then he was unexpectedly, again, called into the state presidency where he served for four years. Um, By that time, our uh, oldest son is returned from his mission. He's been married in the temple. He's at the BYU. We have our next teenage child is a a young man. And um, he does not go on a mission, but he says, I want to go to Provo because I've got friends there. So we helped him do that. Our next child, uh, she ended up marrying a return missionary. Um, our last child, so my, my husband's still in the state presidency, he asked to be released about four years into that calling due to some issues we were having at home with our youngest child. Um, she was a, a teenager going through some hard stuff, and he felt like he needed to be home to uh, help her in that situation and um 
because, you know, he's always gone now. He was gone as a bishop. Now he's really gone in the state presidency. Anyway, life goes on. That child graduates from high school, moves away to go to college. At this point, she's completely inactive. And also our son that did not go into mission is also completely inactive at that point. How did you how did that affect you cuz you had been so worried about all these behaviors and and that not doing those things would really affect your children and I felt like it was our fault. I felt like if we had done everything we were asked to do that never would have happened. I grieved terribly. I cried a lot. So I was just beside myself. Mm. So you ended up having two children leave before you entered into... We actually had three at that point. Okay, oh. Three, mm-hmm. three of your four, ch- four kids. Yes. Okay, yes. before you left. So that child was unraveling but didn't tell me. Okay. Did he not tell you for a while, like until after you had left? Uh, I found out that he had stepped away before my transition happened. Okay. So maybe maybe a year before it happened. Okay. So then how were you feeling at that point? Um, you're still faithful, you're still believing, and three of your four kids are now out of the church. Well, by that time, I had come to the decision, my husband and I both, that the most important thing was to have a good relationship with our kids. That, yeah, we were sad that they left the church, but that was their decision, and they were adults. It's their responsibility now. So that that responsibility that I felt started to fade away, and I just concentrated on having loving relationships with my kids. And so when I found out about that son, I, I was trying not to think about my table in heaven with empty chairs, like Sister Kimball talked about. I think it was her. But I kept thinking, my chairs are getting more empty. Right. And I was trying not to focus on that. Yeah. Okay. Um. So at what point in your life, where were you when you hit your faith crisis? Um, I was 55 or so. All our kids were out of the house. It was just my husband and I. And we were both in leadership positions. I was a primary president. He was in the young men's presidency when everything started to fall apart. And that was in... The spring of 2017, he started reading church history from a book he'd been given. He became very concerned. And I felt at the time that my testimony was strong enough that I could withstand anything that I read, that I I wouldn't doubt things. It wouldn't trouble me. But it was really troubling him. I didn't even know what he was reading about. So I said, honey, I... I want to read this book. I want you to have someone to talk to. So he gave me the book, and I can still remember how my heart just broke. Um, I couldn't believe what I was reading. You know, first my heart fell, and I thought, oh, my gosh, I have to, I have to keep reading. I, I have to know, is this real? I mean, it, I got my scriptures out, I got rust done rolling, and I got all these different books out, and I'm reading it going, wait a minute, all this time, I've never known any of these things. And I just completely 
lost everything. Within a, I don't know, maybe a week, maybe two, I had no testimony of the church, of the restoration of Joseph Smith, of the priesthood. I got very depressed. I was angry. I mean, the more I read and I was consuming things, I would go from being super angry and crying. And I still had to go to work, too. I had to live. And I was very sad because the thing that was the most important thing to me that I never in a million years thought would go away, that I'd ever lose, never considered it. It was slipping away like sand through my fingers. What did that mean for you to be staring down the possibility of of not believing or not having the church I was, in your life? It was frightening. Um, I didn't know really what it meant. I, I wasn't prepared for it at all. It just came out of the blue. Yeah. So... Anger, fear, sadness, confusion. It, it was horrible. It was a horrible feeling. And I, at the time, I was the primary president. So before this went too far, I went to my bishop and I asked to be released. Before I had asked to be released, my husband had asked to be released. My husband was done. I wasn't done, done, but I was on my way to being completely done. I was very close behind him. And did you enter into like a a doubling down phase where, you're, where did you feel like, no, <laughs> I just pray about it. I'll no. get the answer. Or was it, it no. just evaporated? I, I just, I was so severely angry and disillusioned and disappointed that my foundation had crumbled that I started peeling away the church pretty quickly. I told my husband, we're done paying tithing. I took off my garments. So this is probably within the, the oh, you know, three or four weeks of wow. me learning these things. Yeah. I was just so mad that I had given everything to the church. I had pushed my kids to do everything. I was so angry. And so I started making changes very quickly. I felt like I was re- I was going on a big rebellion real fast. Yeah, so the the feeling I'm getting is blunt force trauma that it was like the shock of it. Yeah. That it was right. severe and and sudden. Yeah, all those things. It was a shock. It was completely out of the blue. It was like somebody had died unexpectedly. Or someone was in an accident and died. You know, it was traumatic. And I, I guess I, I was in shock. It sort of sounds like the like the bottom fell out from under you. There was just, you know, a lot of people use the analogy, like, my shelf broke. Yeah. It sounds more for I didn't you have like, a shelf. like it was just your foundation. Your floor was just gone. Yeah, and just the fell. floor opened up. I didn't have a shelf. Yeah. I didn't doubt the church at all. So, yeah, it was just the ground just opened up and I fell through a hole. Yeah. And you'd been like, yeah, well down the path. Yeah. And we'd be married 35 years. Yeah. And we have grandchildren by now. What was that like for you? Well, my husband and I were on the same page. 
that was such a blessing for both of us. We could talk about any of these things. We became closer than we'd ever been before. And he could open up to me and tell me all the things he'd been struggling with for years that he never said anything about because he was afraid I would leave him. And I said, you know what? It's a good thing you didn't because I might have. Because mm. those thoughts went through my head in our younger years. So f- for us both, we both went through that process together. Mine was more severe of a grieving process than his was because he'd already been kind of slowly losing his testimony over many, many years. And it wasn't a hard stop for him. It was for me. It was just very traumatic. Mm-hmm. He was sad about it, though, too. He was very sad. Yeah, yeah. Um, I tend to think of this series as an exploration of of self-reinvention Yeah, in a way. So for you who, uh, you know, are are further along, have given more, even more years in your life, what is it like to reinvent yourself at that point in your life? Your children are gone. Uh, take us, talk about that. What was that like? Okay. Well, it was exciting on one hand to feel some in personal empowerment to make some decisions for myself. It was powerful for me to decide to take my garments off. It was powerful for me to wear a sleeveless shirt out in public. And I was hoping somebody would see me, somebody that I knew from the church. Oh, really? I was, and I don't know why. I just felt like I, for the first time in my life, was going to stand up and not be meek and mild and a peacemaker. And I'm going to do what I want to do now. Um, Like I said, it's like a rebellion. I never had a teenage rebellion. I was kind of going through a rebellion at that point. Um, So rebuilding myself had a lot to do with uh, listening to myself, my my intuition. Uh, I had to think about what do I believe in now? Do I believe in anything? And um, started working on that. What would you say the the hardest part was of leaving? Well, besides telling our daughter, which was really hard. How, how quickly did you do that? Or at what point oh, did you do that? Very, very quickly, actually. Um, so April 2017 is when it all fell apart. By the end of April, everybody knew. All our kids knew. I felt compelled. And they were all in shock. Like, What? Um, so telling our daughter and then the repercussions of that was really hard because she, it was totally out of the blue for everybody. It was so hard for her because now she was the only one in the family who had a testimony who was going to be in the church. She was on her own now. So I, I just tried to reassure her and say, you know, I, I can understand. I knew this would be hurtful to you. And that was super hard. And we've, you know, had to work through that. How did that feel for you as a mother? Your other three children had left. So while they would have been shocked, I can understand. 
I'm I'm guessing that there wasn't the weight of I taught you this, then now I'm changing yeah. my mind. Was that I'm assuming yeah. that was a big part of yeah. you know with your daughter that that would have come into play. I I felt like I had let her down. Mm. I felt really bad for yeah, I was I was a spiritual anchor for her. And now I was cutting her boat free and she didn't ask for it. She didn't want it. It was hurtful. She had no control over it at all. And I knew that. I knew that she would suffer from this. But I knew that my testimony was gone. And I didn't see it ever coming back. So telling her was just a matter. I felt like my my kids need to know what's happening in our lives because this is big. Did you feel the need to try to convince her? No. Okay. No, definitely not. I, I needed to tell her, but we, when my husband and I talked to her, we said, we won't try to pull you away from the church. We respect where you are. We just wanted to let you know where we are. We felt like you needed to know this. And I told her that, wait, we both told her actually that we wouldn't share any information with her unless she asked for it, because this was the hardest thing we've ever gone through. We would never wish it on somebody. We would never intentionally pull someone down that hole, especially our children. So I'm sure she was appreciative of that because she says, no, I don't, I don't really know, want to know why. And I think she did kind of ask what, you know, what started this. Right. Yeah. So high level, we said, learning more about the history of the church, basically. And my husband asked, have you read the essays? We also made sure that her husband was with her when we talked to her. Mm-hmm. We did it through a Skype type of method because she lives in another state. So we encouraged them both to read the essays just to get an idea of some of the things that we might be troubled by. Mm-hmm. And that was all we said. Okay, so that was a tough conversation. That was uh-huh. hard. Uh-huh. Um, sounds like you did come through it. We have. You know, with- it's been... A year and a half. Mm-hmm. And um, and so the second hardest thing, let's move on to that. The second hardest thing was losing my community. Not only did I lose my testimony, but I lost my church family. And nobody asked me. No one came to me and asked me what's going on. The only, the only two people that knew besides my family was the bishop who we had gone to. And the Relief Society president, who reached out to me probably because of the bishop, we had a few conversations about it, and I, I, you know, I poured out my heart to her. But nobody else texted me, called me, came over. It was like radio silence, and I, I was so sad about that. I felt like these people don't really love me, and I was shocked by that. Yeah, my. During this this time of learning in that, that summer and that fall, my husband kept going to church with his dad. His dad was living with us, and his dad needed us to take him. So he would go with his dad, and they, people would come up to, to him and say, tell Judy we miss her. 
Mm-hmm. But that was the only contact I got is if he went to church and they would tell him and he'd pass it along. Yeah. And that really infuriated me. That is hard. Yeah, I just didn't feel important anymore. Yeah. I I need to feel needed. I need to feel wanted. I need to feel part of something. And I remembered a church that I had been to before visiting somebody, and I knew that they had no dogma, that people of all different faiths could go there. And I said, let's just go and see what it's like. So we did. We dressed up in our Sunday Mormon clothes. We went to this church. Everybody had jeans on or shorts <laughs> or tie-dye shirts. We were the only ones with church, what you call church clothes, right? Right, your Sunday and best. We, we sit in the pews, and I feel weird because, like, I've never – this is just strange. I'm in another church, you know. So we sit through that service, and I just started bawling. I was so – I felt so much love in that room. Now, I didn't know any of these people. I hadn't talked to anybody. But I felt like these people understand what it means to love everybody, to accept everybody, to not demand that you all think and believe the same way. And I just felt a relief that there was something positive because I felt like everything was so negative at that point. So... That was a wonderful experience. And did you then continue to attend that church? We did. Um, after the first, second, or the first few times, I'm thinking, man, I could run this place. I could run the youth group. I could run the women's group. I, <laughs> I have so much to offer. I can talk. I can teach, you know. Yeah. And But I love to sing, and their choir needed help. So that was great, but that didn't last. Our tenure there didn't last very long. It lasted about three months. Did that need go away, or was it just not the right fit? Or you know, well, I think that myself and my husband came to the realization that neither of us wanted to join anything. We were we felt burned. We were still processing all this, going through all the grief cycle. We felt like committing to anything, even to this church, was not something we were ready to do. So that's why we stopped going. It wasn't because of the people. It wasn't because of what they taught. It was because we were, we were like so cautious. Like we do not want to commit to anything. We're still trying to deal with, you know, our testimonies being gone. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean for us? You know, what do we do with our lives now? So. Um, what were some of those questions? Like, those are interesting to me. Like, what do we do with our lives? What, is, what does it mean yeah. to have your testimony gone? What were some of those other questions that you were grappling with during this time? Well, for myself, it had a lot to do with trying to figure out if I believed in anything anymore, meaning God, mm-hmm. efficacy of prayer. I mean, that was like the only thing I had left. That was The church was gone. My belief was gone, but what about God? Mm-hmm. What about prayer? So that's been a process of trying to figure that out. I can't say I have to figure it out yet. I'm a lot more comfortable with where I am. I started becoming comfortable with not knowing everything. Yeah. Because in the church, you pretty much have an answer for everything. 
And I didn't have any answers anymore. I didn't, and I was okay with that, actually. I, my, my mind was moving towards my next step in my church membership, what I felt like I needed to do to heal. And I didn't feel guilt. I didn't feel like Satan had a grasp on me. I, I felt some freedom, but I was also struggling. I was also kind of unmoored. Mm-hmm. I didn't know where I was going to land. And I was kind of concerned. I was like, I have to land somewhere. Right. So for you, landing, is that meaning um, a belief system? Is that meaning? Resolution. I felt like, and I still feel like, I need to rethink everything, how I operate, um, what I want to support. And I felt a really strong desire to want to help people in the church that were put on the sidelines. I wanted to, if I, if I knew anybody, to reach out and let them know that they were enough the way they were. I wanted to help other people in the church, other people that I knew who had left the church or people I had met from my months of searching for other people online and in communities, you know, post-Mormon groups. I wanted to be there for other people who were going through this process. And I was still going through a lot of it myself, but I felt like I could serve doing that. And that might be my landing place is helping other people go through that process. Mm -hmm. Um, I still hadn't come to the point where I was pretty good. I I felt like I was not good yet. And I was still very angry. Okay, interesting. So good for you meant? I think good for me meant being at peace. Yeah, okay. Being at peace, yeah. So I made a conscious decision after about eight months of, going through the grief cycle and mostly anger that I didn't want to be angry and depressed anymore. I didn't want to be crying. I wanted to let the anger go. And so I spent a year working on that and working on learning how to love myself and accept myself and my decisions and being okay with not settling on what I believed spiritually being okay with not joining a church, reestablishing relationships with people in our family that were, you know, now more people know, uh, especially our daughter. And I needed to, I needed to be emotionally healthy. I felt like I was just kind of falling apart physically, mentally, obviously spiritually. I needed to pull myself together. How did you do that? How did you go about that process? I found a lot of, um, well, through the magic of multi- uh, social media, I found, I kept getting suggestions for courses to take that dealt with things that were like hot, but hot button issues for me. It was mostly self, self-love, self-care. Um, I was learning about meditation, although I really couldn't relax enough to do it, but I wrote a lot. I journaled extensively. I wrote every feeling I had, every thought I had. That was part of healing. Write about the anger. I wrote a few letters that I burned because that was, um, if I was really angry at someone or something, I would write about it and then I would ceremoniously burn it to try to resolve it. So 
like I said, a lot of journaling, talking with people online. I had made some friends who had left the church through a retreat had gone to with my husband. We started to actually form our own post-Mormon community in our area because there isn't one. So a little bit of socialization, feeling like you're not alone, meeting other families who have gone through the similar thing. Most of them were young, but I actually met some people older than me. So with all that support and love and continuing to talk to my husband, I, I healed quite a bit. I let a lot of anger go. I started to see people that I had been angry at as just being people and not being so disappointed in their failure to support me and going through the worst thing ever in my life. I started to realize that, you know, it was self-preservation probably on some hand. Mm, um, And I started to forgive them. That was part of my healing is I needed to forgive and I also felt like I needed to forgive, be more compassionate towards some of the people in the church, even my own ancestors that led me here. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I needed to forgive them for just doing the best they could and try to see good again instead of just being so negative and sad. So I, I just felt like it was really important for me to work at that. Yeah. And I did. And it really, really helped. So let's talk about where you are now. Okay. (laughs) Where have you landed? So I have landed as a resigned member. My husband and I resigned together in April of 2018. So it was was just a year. You know, I know a lot of people take years of processing (laughs) before they decide if they ever do. Yeah. Raising my hand here. Yeah. (laughs) for, (laughs) For me, maybe... Well, who knows why, but I felt the stirrings of needing to resign pretty quickly, that being just inactive was not good enough. I didn't want to be associated with the church. I didn't want to be on their roles. I didn't want to be on that membership role, that 16 million or billion members. That's not reality, and I didn't want to be part of that lie, so that was part of an anger thing. It also but sounds I decided, a little bit like an integrity thing too. If you don't, yeah. if you don't uh, identify with that or believe in it, then and or support it, yeah, you know. And I felt like it was damaging to a lot of people. I didn't want to support that anymore. So, but because I was still angry and processing, um, I didn't. I, don't, I told my husband, I, I don't want to do this until I am in a better place mentally. I don't want to regret this. This is a big decision. I don't. It's not like changing your furniture in your living room. This is huge. I want to be sure. And we resigned on April 6th. That's an um, interesting date. <laughs> very, very interesting. Very, um, actually, my, my husband just jokingly suggested that day. And it was perfect. And I... I felt like I had completed what I had set out to do in my mind and my heart. I knew that I really couldn't move forward until I cut the church out of me. Yeah. So I did. I made that decision. That's a big decision for a people pleaser who doesn't want to make any waves. Right. Um, so I grew immensely. I Yeah, I wanted to bring that up. Um, my next question was going to be, 
what ways have you changed and what ways are you the same? And I, I was really hoping <laughs> you would touch on that people-pleasing aspect that you'd mentioned. So how have you changed? How are you the same? Um, I still love my family. <laughs> I think I love my family deeper. Our family is closer together. Um, I think I'm still kind. I still have values. I believe you should be honest. You should treat people as you want to be treated. I still like to serve. So that, that's who I was before. I appreciate life a lot more than I used to. I, I don't feel like I'm not enough anymore. I don't dislike myself, you know, feeling like I was never good enough. I feel like I am good enough. Um, you talked about needing to go through that process of forgiveness. And yes. I don't want to suggest that you needed, needed to forgive yourself, but you just talked about feeling you're enough now. Right. So was that part of the process also needing to forgive your former self? Was that a part of the process for you? And it's fine if it's not. I don't want to lead you, but I'm just wondering if um, it was. I felt when this all happened that I was very gullible and I was angry about that. Like, how could I be so gullible? How could I be taken advantage of in this way? And this is just, these are just my thoughts. Oh, yeah. I'm not I mean, saying it's, it's the same for everybody, but. Right. It's really um, common to feel that right. you've been duped. That's totally So yeah. duped. Yeah. And so I felt stupid, but. I would realize there's no, you know, no, you were active. You did everything. It's not your fault that you didn't know all these things. Yeah. I do feel like I was being deceived. I don't believe that everything about the church is bad. I still see good in the church. And I'm so grateful for, actually, I'm grateful that I had the church growing up. If I hadn't had somewhere to go to, I don't know where I would have ended up. I had something positive to push towards. I had positive influences. I had good values. I had a good life, had a good marriage, wonderful kids. And so part of forgiving this whole thing was realizing, yeah, it was a horrible thing you just went through, but remember what blessings you have because you, you had that life and put it where it belongs. It was part of your life. It was an experience you had. Try to put it there and not just feel regret, like, you know, um, so I guess part of that is forgiving myself. I've asked my kids for forgiveness for the stuff I put them through as, a, you know, trying to push church standards or expectations mostly on mm -hmm. them. Yeah. Some of them have caused them a lot of emotional grief. So, mm -hmm. I still feel some guilt from that, but it's it's healing because my relationship with those kids, whenever I'm with them, they just hug me and they know this has been really hard. So that has yeah. helped me to forgive myself and Yeah. But anger anger is not a good thing to keep. Resentment is not a good thing. You you can't really move on in your life when you feel anger and resentment. You I think it's appropriate to feel it for a while part of the process it's part of the anger part um but to be to be happy for me i have to move past that yeah i'm sitting here just feeling like just uh, you know overwhelmed all over again of what a process this is 
how mm-hmm. wrenching it can be. Um, but also that it can be, yeah, you don't have to get stuck in the no. bog down in the mire of it, right? Right. And I think I learned through this process that it's okay not to be perfect because I was really stressed all the time about being perfect and felt guilty all the time. That wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. So that's been a gift that I can love myself probably more now than I ever have because that was part of healing was learning to love myself and to be enough to accept who I was and who I am and to try to be happy now. How is this still a process for you? Um, I still want to come to a landing place or feel like I need to or want to come to a landing place um, spiritually. And I haven't found it yet. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of okay with that. I mean, I, I miss talking to God. I miss prayer. So that's part of my process of figuring out what do I do with this? If there is a God, how do I relate to him anymore? How does he relate to me if he's real? Yeah. So that's still a big question that is always, it's something I'm trying to work out. Um, I'm going also with family relationships. Uh, uh-huh. So our daughter is the primary relationship that I'm concerned about. You know, how to navigate things like baptisms and, yeah. you know, the future missions and, you know, how do we... How do we navigate this? It is it's hard to recalibrate your relationship when yeah, when there's a, a major shift like this. Right. Yeah. So that's still more pain to work through. Right. Right. But it's not anger. It's just accepting things that are different. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't always mean it's going to it's not going to be the same. Yeah. Yeah. I I want to close by giving you the chance to share with the family members and friends who might be listening that know you, that you've shared this with, what is the thing you want them to know most? What's the thing you most want to share with them? Wow. I think what I want them to know the most is how much I love them. And I don't want this to come between us. And then I'm sorry. I'm sorry that your world has been forever changed, just like mine. I want us to be able to talk and cry together and be honest and say, you heard me. And get that out because that's poison that needs to come out. We do change. Life isn't a, isn't a, a stagnant event it's always evolving and that I'm in a much better place than I was when this all started when I was despondent all the time I'm I'm more content and at peace with my decision the process was hard the most important thing for me right now is to keep relationships with my family and I appreciate so much their love they've extended towards us and that they have not shamed us Mm 
They have not distanced themselves from us, even though I know it's very hard for them. So, Well, Judy, I just can't thank you enough for sharing your story. Thank you, Donna. It's very helpful, actually, to talk about it. So I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. And I, I really hope that... I hope that people that are going through this process will know that it's not, it does seem like the end of the world. And for a while it is. Your world does stop and it starts spinning the other way. But you can have a happy, content life again. And the clouds do part and the rain does stop eventually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so so much. You're so welcome. You're so welcome. Thanks for listening. Whatever your relationship with Mormonism might be, we appreciate you being here, and we hope you've found this to be valuable. Becoming Wardless is a sub-series of the Wardless podcast. To learn more, or to find out how to feature your story on Becoming Wardless, please visit wardlesspodcast.com.